City University Television presents... The American Theatre Wing Seminars. Working in the Theatre. This seminar, Performance. Thank you. I'm Isabel Stevenson. I'm president of the American Theatre Wing, and these seminars are coming to you from the City University Graduate Center of New York, located on 42nd Street, the heart of Times Square, where the theater, the off-Broadway theater, the on-Broadway theater, and the off-off-Broadway theater all come together. The wing, you know, created the Tony Awards the most coveted award in the American theater. But the American Theater Wing stands for a great deal more than that. For example, these seminars are an outgrowth of the Wing School, where Harold Prince taught and Hal Linden and Robert Prosky and uh, Pat Hengel all learned. And so we go on trying to give you what is the best of the theater so they can share their knowledge with each other and with you. The Wing is the oldest running service organization devoted to the theater and devoted to the community through the theater. From the days of the stage door canteen into our hospital show program, where today we send out live Broadway theater and off-Broadway theater into hospitals and nursing homes. Our Saturday Theatre for Children program is perhaps one of the most important programs that we can have or that anybody else can do because on Saturday mornings we bring live professional entertainment and theatre to the schools right in their neighborhoods, right in their own schools. And the most important thing is that the children line up. They make a commitment. They buy a ticket during the week so that they know and develop a habit of going to the theater. They know what it is to buy that ticket and plan to go to the theater. And in so doing, they are developing the habit of theater going. They're also becoming a discriminant audience, which I think is extremely important because the audience then will go to the theater for what they know is good, not because of a review and not because it's just an anniversary going occasion or a birthday. They need to go to the theater and there is nothing that can give us as much enjoyment and satisfaction as a live theater. I would like to introduce our co-moderators to you. Jean Dalrymple, who is a member of the board of directors of the American Theater Wing, is a producer, an author, a playwright, and I think there isn't any part of the theater that Jean has not been involved in or that can know what to do with and when 
and George White. <laughs> George White, who is president of the Eugene O'Neill Center in Waterford, Connecticut, is a wonderful co-moderator, a very good friend of the theater, and a marvelous developer of talent. And I will now turn the panel and this seminar, which is devoted to the performance, to over to our two moderators, who in turn will introduce the panelists to you. Thank you very much. Well, down on the end, to my far left, is a very lovely girl. Her name is Susie Kurtz. And <laughs> Lucy, as I'm sure you all know, is in the House of Blue Leaves and won a Tony for her wonderful performance in that. Of course, she's been in many other Broadway and off-Broadway plays, and she also won a Tony for her terrific uh, performance in uh, the 5th of July. So here we have two winners of the American Theatre Wing Tony. Next to her is uh, Vondi Curtis Hall, whom I saw some time ago in a marvelous production at the American Place Theater in, in uh, Williams and Walker, the story of the two great black men who first came to big time in vaudeville and in the uh, great Ziegfeld Follies. And Vondi uh, just finished playing in Raisin in the Sun for the Roundabout Theater and now he's in the Negro Ensemble production of uh, War Games. Is that the right name? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, that opens very soon, as a no, matter of fact. the War Party. The War That's right. I thought it was wrong when I said it. <laughs> Let, <laughs> the War Party. You and I. War Game, no. <laughs> the War Party. And uh, when does it open? It opens uh, November 5th. We yes. start previews uh, tomorrow night, actually. Oh, good. And now... Uh, <laughs> And this lovely person certainly needs no introduction. You all know who she is. <laughs> Her name is Jean Stapleton, but of course she's been <laughs> She was in our homes for years as Mrs. Bunker. You all remember that. But right now she's starring in Arsenic and Old Ace and giving the most enchanting performance. I hope you'll all go to see her if you haven't seen her already. I just loved her in it and I loved the play. I saw the original and I think this is better. <laughs> uh, next to Isabel and on my far right is Loretta Swift, uh, who's... whose uh, Broadway credits include, of course, Same Time Next Year, and she's starred in over a, a dozen movies made for television, um, and of course uh, is known for the role of Margaret Hot Lips Houlihan <laughs> in MASH, and is currently, uh, uh, she is currently on Broadway as Princess Puffer in uh, The Mystery of, of Edwin Drood. Yeah. 
On my immediate right is a distinguished gentleman, an author and a director, Ozzie Davis. Uh, he has appeared on Broadway, films, television, and his uh, productions, as I'm sure you all remember, include Poorly Victorious, uh, which he wrote and filmed, and with his wife, Ruby D, he has co-hosted and co-produced uh, the PBS series with Ozzie and Ruby, and is now starring with Hal Linden in I'm Not Rappaport. We uh, usually start by asking someone, and I think I'll start with you, if you don't mind, uh, how you began, what your training was, how you really had the idea of going into the theater, and what you did about it. Going way back to the beginning? Yeah. <laughs> the very beginning. Except after the ice age. <laughs> um, well, okay. Um, I always wanted to be a dancer. I wanted to be a ballerina prima ballerina, of course, but I, I uh, when I went to high school, there was a wonderful, wonderful teacher there, as there probably is here, some person who lights the fire for you, and uh, it was a man named John Ingle for me in California, and, and I got into his drama class, and I started doing a couple of scenes for student actors, you know, those little books that you get, and, and I did a couple, and it just, something happened, um, it made me feel important. It gave me an identity, and, uh, and also I realized it was something I did well, you know. It's like, you don't like to play tennis if you're a bad tennis player, you know. You don't like to play poker if you, you like a game if, if, if you're good at it, you know. I suddenly thought, oh, here's something I'm, I can do, I can do this. And uh, he encouraged me, and that's how I sort of be, you knew that I wanted to become an actress, that I had found what I wanted to do. Um, then I wanted to go to an English drama school very much. I had a dream of kind of going there. I was an Anglo, real Anglophile at the time. And I, um, I auditioned for Lambda, London Academy of Music and Dramatic Art, and got accepted and um, went there for two years. So it was a wonderful, wonderful training ground. Uh, I think I would have been better off going to Yale because um, <laughs> then I would have... Uh, when I got out, I, I would have known some people. This way, I came back absolutely cold to New York. Nobody knew me. I knew nobody. And, um, I, you know, it, it, it's well, tough. We'll get into that part of your life later. Yeah, right. <laughs> how about you, Bondi? How did, how did you get the big idea of becoming an actor or going into the theater? I, I think it, came, it actually came later for me in, in college. Initially, I was... I played piano, and uh, as my parents always say, I later defected to guitar and decided to start, <laughs> start playing guitar in, in, in bands and things like that in high school. In college, uh, I was a music major in high school. I later, I went to the university in, uh, in, in Michigan and came here to Juilliard, majored in, uh, in voice, and started uh, doing scenes and, and things in college. And, um, got into a musical mm. and kind of proceeded from that in that direction. I didn't, uh, initially, I, I, would, uh, I, I never thought I could act. I was, it was always mm. terrified of it. I could always, I knew that I could sing a song or play a piano or do something like that, but uh, to stand in front of people and remember lines 
and then do monologues and things like that were terrifying for me initially. <laughs> But, but that's I, the way take, I took a lot of classes, and um, it worked out. Good. <laughs> and, and you, Jane? Oh, I'm so happy you started with that question, because I wanted to an opportunity to uh, tell you about my uh, connection with the American Theatre Wing. Um, uh, well, uh, after the initial uh, desire to act sees me, just after I graduated from high school, I um, started in uh, what was not even off-off-Broadway, uh, a group uh, that did little plays in, uh, in Brooklyn uh, in, at luncheons for ladies. And uh, uh, Jerome Collimore was the director, and uh, I did uh, Double Damask Dinner Napkins, the sketch that <laughs> Beatrice Lilly made oh, yeah. famous. Yeah. That was my very first effort. But let us jump now yeah. uh, uh, <laughs> to the American Theatre Wing. Hurrah, hurrah. Ms. Stevenson spoke of the school from which all of this sprang. Well, that was for returning GI, professional GI veterans who could use their GI Bill of Rights as uh, uh, a, an individual. They could go and take singing lessons privately which was the first time that could happen under the GI Bill. And they could go to classes at the theater wing. And there were very few wax or waves who were returning professional actresses. So they asked for volunteer actresses. So that was my chance. And I went to classes at the American Theater Wing. And it's the major part, uh, along with Pat Hingle and the others you mentioned. I hope you'll put my name on that list. I will. <laughs> I had the most wonderful introduction. Yeah from a man named Peter Fry who went on to Israel and became a, a very prominent director there, and from Joseph Anthony, and from William Hansen. And I took dance classes at the theater wing. And then uh, uh, um, Bonnie Wallen became uh, the uh, director of the music department, and um, I became Madeline um, Wallen. Uh, and uh, then they took me on the staff of the music department. And I uh, then was able to make a little money, which we all needed. And, uh, uh, I, and I, in turn, went out to these private lessons of all the great teachers and less than great teachers in New York City. Where, uh, and, and I was the liaison between the theater wing and the music lesson. Oh, that's so wonderful. I, the theater wing is a very important part of my life and my training. It kept me going, and it taught me, and I'm so grateful to be back here with the American Theatre Wing. One more thing. I also, before that all started, I was a hostess at the stage door. I just want you to know I found the next president of the American Theatre Wing. Thank you. Thank you, indeed. <laughs> uh, Loretta, um, when did you first have these feelings of, of wanting to? You know, uh, over the years people have asked me that, and I have never been able to recall a moment of thinking, oh, gee, this is what I want to be. It was just understood in my head and in my heart for so long, since, since any time I can remember, it's all I've ever wanted to be. As soon as I could walk, I was dancing. I probably ruined my feet to this day. I have to take two different sized shoes because I uh, crippled myself when I was very young. Um, I started singing uh, when I was uh, very young. And um, 
as my, and my parents thought this was kind of charming and cute and wonderful when I was very young. When they saw I was taking it all very seriously, they started to destroy the mail coming in from the American Academy of Dramatic Arts and, and things like that. They didn't want me to take it too seriously. So um, um, they stopped my dance classes. And, and so being very enterprising at the age of 12, I uh, approached my teacher and asked her whether I could teach the very, very young toddlers on Saturday mornings. And in turn, could she give me uh, some free classes? So I continued my dance studies. Mm -hmm. And then um, I, um, I, I, uh, I had left home when I graduated. And my mother and I joke about it now. She flung her body across the door, <laughs> <laughs> announcing that I was killing her and my father and my brother and my whole family. And so uh, uh, it's nice, though, when you can uh, look back and laugh at it together. And she's obviously very proud of me today. And I'm very glad that um, I, I felt so passionately about it that I could uh, make that break. I loved my family very much, and we are still very, very close. And uh, I started to study in New York. I went to the American Academy. I uh, then found Jean Frankel, who is, uh, till today, my mentor, um, a great teacher for me. Everyone finds their one person who teaches them everything they'll ever know. And he continues to um, come to all my productions and uh, continues to be very supportive. And um, I uh, found myself doing a play with Susan Hayward in Las Vegas, MAME, as a matter of fact. And uh, friends of mine who lived in California <clears throat> uh, told me that I had been working very hard and I shouldn't go straight back to New York. I should stop off in California for a few days. And that's the last thing I remember for about 12 years. <laughs> and, uh, but I... I um, still managed, as Jean did, to, to uh, juggle back and forth to uh, always uh, have time to do a play wherever, you know. Yeah. Great. Ozzy, what, what is your story? <laughs> a strange tale, <laughs> I'm here really under creative false pretenses. I am a writer, uh, born to be a writer, educated to be a writer, determined to be a writer, and somehow I got waylaid into the theater and uh, I, I was, from a child, determined to be a writer, and I don't know why. I grew up in a very small southern town, and I wanted to write for the stage. I can't imagine why that was the case either. But when I landed at Howard University in Washington, D.C., one of my instructors, Dr. Arlene Leroy Locke, when I confessed that I wanted to be a writer, detected in my accent that I might have come from a place where theater was not as prolific as others asked me if I'd ever seen, had been in the theater, and I said, of course, I've seen the cowboy pictures. And he said, no, live theater with people on stage. And I said, no. And you're determined to write for the stage? Yes. So, well, I suggest that if you're serious about this, when you leave here, you go to New York and join a little theater group call the Rose McClendon players, tell them that you want to be a writer, but in order to do that, you need to find out what the theater is truly all about. You join, you do every possible thing you can, sing, dance, paint scenery, hustle lemonade, uh, <laughs> programs, 
direct, sing, I mean act and all of those things. Uh, I did that. I came to that little theater group and I joined. And at that time I was six feet two as I am now, but I weighed only about 125 pounds, <laughs> sort of elegant, melancholy, black with a sexy Adam's apple lip. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, my voice was heavy and I could do things with, you know, grits is served that nobody else could possibly do. <laughs> and so when the people from Broadway came uptown to see what was happening, they caught me in some of my activities, my learning processes, mm -hmm. and made it possible for me to enter the theater as an actor. I never came to stay. I never was truly determined to master the art of performance. It's only because I married Ruby Dee, who <laughs> takes the craft rather seriously, <laughs> has often informed me in, you know, in mid-performance on stage, she's given me notes and <laughs> <laughs> made it quite clear that our marriage and partnership depended upon my, you know, <laughs> mastering some elements of the craft of actually of getting off the stage. So uh, I took the craft seriously and uh, studied with Paul Mann and various other people, but honestly, I'm a writer, I should be home writing right now. <laughs> you, you learned your craft through terror. <laughs> terror, that's true. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> yes. Well, uh, since we started with you, and I said we'll get back to that, how did you get your first job? How did you become a pro? Um, well, I'm sure you've all heard of the, the Theater Communications Group, TCG. Oh, yes. mm -hmm. Yeah. They, I don't know if they still have them because it's mm -hmm. been so long, but when I was starting, they, they had um, an annual audition yes, in Chicago. Still do. And, yeah. still do. and they also have then a professional one in New York, which I also did later. But um, I came back and, of course, as I said, not knowing anyone, I didn't know where to begin. I didn't have an agent or anything. And, and um, I went to Chicago and I, I prepared my two pieces, my modern and my classic, and I did the TCG auditions. And there's sort of liaison between uh, actors and all the regional theaters. So I, I did that and, and uh, all of the directors of all the regional theaters are there. And you get a little card afterwards, like a dance <laughs> card, you know, see how well you've done. And, and you know, either it's blank or you have one or two people who want to talk to you. I have a lot of people, whatever. I had quite a few people want to talk to me, so I went and talked to all these directors. And I got about three fairly decent offers. I mean, at that point, it was like, you know, $50 a week plus room and board. So I was thrilled, you know. <laughs> um, yeah. So I went to, um, the first place I went was Cincinnati Playhouse in the Park. Oh. And then it kind of one thing leads to another and all that. And I went to the Manitoba Theater Center in Canada and did a play after that. And then I went to the Charles Playhouse in Boston. And I did a lot of regional theater. It's a sort of classic background today. Yeah, it was. Uh, it, it took a lot longer. I mean, I see these um, people today, and I, I envy them so, who, who are right out of drama school, and it seems like they're bingo. They're on Broadway within a year or two, and it just really? amazes me. I. Oh. <laughs> Don't envy them because you're going to have to go back and learn what you all well, learned. It's, it's, yeah, at it's some great, point, and yes. it's harder to do it then than to yes, learn exactly. by I, doing. I got a lot of it out of the way. That's right. Isn't it interesting that so many of you started in dancing and wanting to be a dancer? 
Bonnie is the only one that I know of that is still dancing. Mm -hmm. but, Sometimes. <laughs> oh, but it's very good when you do. But is there something about dancing, about learning to use your body in dance that, that stands you in good stead when you start as a performer, when you start acting? That this background in dancing helps you a great deal of using your body. I'm not looking at the play right now. <laughs> I think it doesn't have something to do with it. I think so. You, you have to learn to use your body. I think uh, physicalization of a character is, is is major. I mean, it is to me. I, it's it's one of the clues that lets me then get inside and find out what mm -hmm. she's thinking. Well, tell them how you used your body in, in your present role. You had a wonderful article about that. Oh well, you remember mean, when you 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 do that little bit? Oh, the dog. Yeah. Um, well. Uh, you know, people say, well, did you study dogs? And, uh, <laughs> you know, really, they, and I, they also said, did you study, they also said to me, you must have a history of mental illness. <laughs> I found uh, a, a supreme compliment. I mean, I, I said, no, you know, the alarming thing is that, that um, I, I don't, I mean, I, I don't think I do, but, um, you know, all your life you're watching people and you're watching this moment of this person and this moment of this person over here and it just kind of all gets amalgamated and all comes together and but about the dog um, no I mean I didn't say oh well I have to do a dog now so I will go out and study dogs I mean I've been watching dogs all my life you know we all have we've all seen the same thing I have from dogs we, you know and uh, I, I you just get kind of inside the dog physically and do what what it would do and and the balance and everything but I think what Exactly. What, what Isabel was saying about the the yeah. the physicalization, the, the dance training, I think, is so wonderful. Mm -hmm. uh, which Loretta, you would you would certainly know more about than me because I, you had much more than I did. But but I mean, I think it it, it does definitely teach you a, a form, a structure, <coughs> um, a discipline. I which think that's important. Apply. The discipline mm -hmm. of yeah. your body. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But tell them that you you spoke so eloquently about how you made yourself into that position, which is so touching. When I think of it, it breaks my heart. Oh, thank you. Well, I, um, well, what I said very technically about the dog is that I, during previews, I realized that, you know, what I was doing was okay. It was fine. It was working. But I realized that I'm, I was too far forward. It's just a simple thing, you know. And I realized that dogs, when they, when they get up, you know, they're they're back like this, aren't yeah, they? they? I mean, because they're they're trying to yeah. and something about the way they're built, as opposed to the way we're built, uh, makes them instead of being here, they're here. You know, is that what you meant? Yes. Yeah. 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 I, I, sort of, I mean, it still touches me. It's, sort of it's the difference between being good, you know, between mm. it being okay and, and between and great. It having real. Oh, well, thank you. Great. But <laughs> authentic or whatever. <laughs> Yes, you do your, yes, yeah. About well, what what Swizzy said is fascinating. It's and I agree mm -hmm. with all of that uh, physic physicalization. Uh, when I was doing Agnes Gooch and Mame Jean Sachs, uh, talked to me about um, an aunt of his who sniffed. <laughs> he she just kind of sniffed at various <laughs> strange places sometimes to punctuate certain sentences, and so we kind of adapted that and also uh, a little bit of a pigeon uh, thing 
And so she sniffed and did, uh, you know, <laughs> a little, little bit of... And out of this comes, you know, you find these things. Dance, for me, uh, gave me... First of all, you, you could start dance in my neighborhood when you were very, very young. And when I was that age, there was no way I could go to an acting class. And what it does is give you great confidence because you have control over your body. And we act with our entire body. Uh, if, if your character is very nervous and upset about something, the body is not going to look like this. So we act with our entire body, and clothes affect our behavior. Uh, rehearsal clothes affects our behavior. I could not rehearse uh, playing Gooch, uh, stay with her for a second, in high heels because that's not what she would do. So it was orthopedic Oxfords or loafers and um, loose garments because that was the character. And it affected the, the little pigeon and the sniff. And out of this comes, comes the character. So, so dance is uh, maybe a very good uh, basic training for all of that because it gives you uh, the confidence and it gives you uh, the control and, and the imagination of what you can create with movements and, and just uh, a gesture. It's a, it's a miracle what, what happens language. in dance classes. Well, it's really controlling, uh, when actors have talked about this, of controlling the instrument. The instrument for the actor is the body. And, 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 and keeping it honed. Honed and, and, and in touch with that, which that's is right, terribly that's important. That's right. But, but Swoozie, uh, it's, it's much more than just what, what you do, and I've, I've seen this glorious performance of yours. Uh, it's much more than having observed these uh, dogs over the years. We all see them, but, but what you did was uh, absorb mm. one of these yeah. animals and, and make right. it. Uh, it's just wonderful. If yeah. anyone here has not seen this performance, you must. Look at that house of big leaves. Magnificent. <laughs> what would you like to say about? Discipline. Well, <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's all been said. It no. Well. It's essential, the dance. Um, uh, for me, uh, taking dance classes corrected a very um, kind of awkward uh, walk where you have to be able to walk across the stage uh, in, a, in a good manner, you know. And, uh, um, it helped, that helped me greatly. It also helped a, a, a severe turn in of my left uh, foot into more of a, you know a correct position, uh, doing all those plies in, in um, what is it uh, fifth first position first position, and I still do plies before a performance as part of my warm up, and uh, definitely corrected. So it corrects your walk. And I, I think there are a lot of people that need that when they're yeah. uh, young. What else do you do before a performance as a warm-up? I warm up vocally, um, too. Uh, I have eight bars of something in the show anyway, but, and yes. so it's for that, too. But it's part of the whole uh, idea. Uh, now, the question was, uh, the question was, the first job, wasn't it? Yes. Well, I want to get back to that because <laughs> I want to, again, acknowledge the theater wing. One of the uh, places where I began to get experience uh, was the hospital shows and, and also plays for living 
Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Which uh, we went on subways to all kinds of schools and did mm -hmm. plays for a living. And uh, it kept us in car fare as well. So, and, I, and, and solfege, uh, sight reading classes I studied at the theater wing. So, and, and that, I, I can say, in regard to training, is important uh, because those who uh, do musicals can learn their songs much faster <laughs> if they know how to read music. Mm -hmm. And uh, whereas if you, if, you, if you don't know how to read music, you lean upon <coughs> that person at the keyboard who will bang it into your mind, you know. But um, it's much faster and you learn it with a lot more intelligence if you learn to read music. Uh, my first um, job was in summer theater. Uh, um, I did a lot of summer stock, which at that time was the only place we could depend on to go and work. Um, you see, uh, decentralized theater was a dream at that time. Did you do it we in rotating rep then at summer no. stock? No, no. You'd work a, a week on a, a week that. first, but n then it gradually grew into two weeks, thank God. Uh, <laughs> but we did one week stock. You know, $50 yeah. was our top yeah. price, $55. Mm. Uh, and then, of course, my first job with a Broadway management was with uh, Brock Pemberton when Frank Fay left New York and went on the road with Harvey. And that was the first time I'd been west of New Jersey. It benefited me in many ways. I played the niece, Myrtle May, a character ingenue role. And uh, I went all the way to Vancouver, British Columbia, the coast, and everything our company manager said, we should, you should pay us for this. <laughs> 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 True. So I saw America that way, yeah. too. <laughs> I started that way, if I may digress. I was offered a trip to California, and I left my well-paying job in Wall Street and went into vaudeville because we were making that same trip across the Rockies to Vancouver, down the coast and back. Lovely. <laughs> yes, beautiful. Bonnie, did you audition for Raisin in the Sun? Yeah, I did. I, I auditioned um, um, for Hal Scott, the director, and uh, Bob Nemiroff, Lorraine Hansberry's uh, uh, ex-husband. And initially I was saying, well, I, I, I'm not going to be able to do this show. I can't do this show. They're not going to hire me for this show. And um, my agent called and said, hey, well, you've got the show. Do you, can you do it? At the time, I was doing Williams and Walker. <clears throat> and uh, we had to do the, uh, the festival for the world of theaters in, in Baltimore, where everyone was represented, was represented. And we were one of the few companies um, in the States to represent the United States in the, in the festival. And we had a big conflict and they were starting rehearsals at the time we were uh, going to be in Baltimore. And Hal was very adamant about having me there for rehearsals, uh, for, the very, for the beginning of rehearsals because everyone had to be there and this is how it has to be. Um, and finally we, we worked everything out and I did the show and it was just I had always wanted to do Raisin because, uh, or I should say, A Raisin in the Sun rather than, uh, than Raisin, which was the musical, uh, because I think it was one of, uh, one of our great black plays. And, uh, and, and also to work at the Roundabout, which is, of course, a great theater. Uh, so I was very happy to do it. And yeah, I auditioned a couple of times. We came, I came in with callbacks and 
was freaking out. And, and they said, you have to do the African accent. Uh, so I, I worked with a Nigerian a professor from a uh, university in Lagos. Uh, uh, we talked on the phone for hours, and I recorded him and, uh, you know, uh, and played it back and uh, called him back again and recorded him <laughs> and finally got the rhythm of the Nigerian, <clears throat> of the Nigerian accent. And I was telling him it was such a, uh, I, it was just great to talk to him because he really spoke. I, I had to do a play uh, with a Jamaican accent before and I worked with someone and the guy, I would ask him questions, he would answer with a couple words, yeah. Uh, no. <laughs> it's kind of difficult to get the rhythm of the, the rhythm of the language, the lilt. With the so. Did any of the others here have to learn accents? I've always been fascinated by that—that that wonderful ability to pick up an accent and do it as though you were born that way. Yeah, did you? It was required of me that I go the other way. Yeah. I, I, I came with an accent. <laughs> so, no, I had to study standard classic English to put the G's on the, uh, you know, all the things like that. And, uh, but uh, I've had some experience with the African accent having uh, directed two films in Nigeria, spending quite a lot of time there and listening to the speech. It's, it's a beautiful speech. Uh, I am a product of a non-traditional theatrical tradition, and though Ruben and I get a lot of credit <coughs> for being on Broadway and in Hollywood, that's truly not what we have done. What we were forced to do for economic reasons was to find uh, that there was an audience to whom nobody was paying too much attention in those days, black community, and that if we went to that community and provided them from their experience and that literature, uh, entertainment, that they would pay. For a long time, of course, this was something we did uh, between engagements, and we found out that the engagements weren't coming. Hollywood didn't, had lost our number, and even Broadway didn't know how to find us in the Bronx. We had to begin to take very seriously what to do on stage when there is just you and the audience and uh, a book between you. Uh, we had to reinvent the storyteller as the central character to adapt discipline, uh, speech, body movement, posture, all of those things to a different format. And uh, still it wasn't all that different. It was still theater. But most of my experience and most of the training I got really came from confrontation with an audience like you standing in a pulpit or standing mm -hmm. uh, at a lectern or standing on a street corner doing a poem by Langston Hughes. Uh, the instant education you get from an audience, uh, particularly young people, who <clears throat> either like you and listen or they don't, and you sense immediately where they turned off. So that after the performance is over, Ruben and I, constituting our own little traveling repertory theater, could criticize each other in terms of our performance. And we grew to respect and love the storyteller's art and craft as a significant contribution to dramatic literature. And uh, to the degree that I am an actor at all, and uh, 
uh, Ruby still questions it sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> the experience and the things that taught me most of all were those op came from those opportunities to perform in a non-traditional medium. Well, you were a wonderful actor way back when you did the Wisteria Trees with Ellen Hayes. Well, <clears throat> I, I think so. But there, there is something, there was a kind of freedom that came to me as a performer because I was not ever holding myself responsible as a performer. Uh, and those things that tie me up as a writer, because I know that centuries are looking over my shoulder to see what I'm writing, they don't affect me on stage. There's nobody's looking, I'm only here to earn the paycheck to go back to write. So I'm free, and uh, out of that freedom grew many wonderful things as a performer under the guiding hand, once again, of, of Ruby Dee. And uh, I have learned to depend on the kindness of strangers in of cases. But working in Wisteria Trees with a man like Josh Logan, who comes from the South, and I came from the South, and the challenge of Wisteria Trees was how to do a Southern fried French accent, and uh, <laughs> being taught by Josh Logan, who had had that experience, and being able to respond from my own command of the Southern dialect and the Southern language, it gave me once again a certain freedom and authority that I didn't have as an actor necessarily, but it grew out of my own experience. And working with people like Helen Hayes, uh, Kent Smith, and others, and watching what they did and how they did it, and analyzing their performances and asking myself questions as to how they did, how did they achieve that particular effect. It was such a minimum of activity. Just watching, being in those companies, acting on stage itself was a great education. Well, isn't that, isn't that really, I throw this <coughs> open to the whole uh, group, isn't that, that was originally the, the way anybody learned in the, in the old days. You really got yes. on the stage yes. and you did it if you worked in Booth's company, uh, I know Cornelia Otis Skinner once said that her father really learned to act by working, you know, daily, mm -hmm. uh, first as uh, in the old spear-carrying tradition and then moving up role by role uh, yes. in the theater and just, yes. just doing it that way <coughs> rather than the formalized training that goes on at Lambda or Yale or the theater wing even. Uh, I wonder uh, if that's even possible today, whether you, I don't think it is. I don't think we have the, the repertory theaters. I think you're mm -hmm. breaking in. I desirably. Well, uh, that's an interesting point. Yes. Whether it I agree yeah. with you there. Mm -hmm. But I, <clears throat> one of the things that happens in England, though, is that most of the young people, or even established people, can work with people that are so good that they can learn from them. And so they constantly go back into a company just to be there, just to be working so that they can learn. Mm -hmm. And I think the one word that's come out of here is learning. Yes. It's mm -hmm. very yes. important yes. to learn, and you never stop learning in the theater. Mm -hmm. And I think these seminars are part of that, mm -hmm. you know, of, of learning, of what learning about each other's trade. Mm -hmm. Yes? Well, my thought is, too, that um, the advantage of uh, classes, acting, Classes. study of acting uh, not only uh, gives us uh, knowledge of the craft, uh, an opportunity to exercise it, but it also enables us to learn more when we're watching or performing mm -hmm. with others. We, uh, our perception is deepened because we've been to class, mm -hmm. right? Right, mm -hmm. and we're just 
we see things differently. That's probably what I was trying to say about your absorbing the dog. I think that uh, everybody sees dogs and cats every day, but actors mm -hmm. uh, begin to look at them differently and, yes. and absorb them in a different way. Ozzy said something interesting about learning from the audience. Uh, when I uh, first uh, found myself in California, I joined a, uh, a, a workshop company called Words and Music, and we um, rehearsed and performed um, for 10 days musical comedies, and then we took them on the road to hospitals and, in some cases, prisons, and performed for shut-ins. And we, we called ourselves Words and Music because we took words and music out to the people who could not come in to see us. And I did the apple tree at the Sybil Brand um, prison for women. At, I had a captive audience, you might say. But what we learned uh, from that was uh, this audience had no responsibility to behave any which way except if they felt like it and if, if we held their attention, if they enjoyed what we were doing, if they agreed with what the um, um, performers were saying or the author was saying, we knew immediately they did not behave the way audiences behave. And it was an exciting adventure. It was a real learning experience, and we did it several weekends. And uh, it was, I, I learned so much from this audience. And when I uh, was rehearsing Drood, I said the same thing to Wilfred Leach. He said, uh, what, how do you feel? It was uh, two weeks into rehearsing, and I was about to open. I said, I, I think I'm all right. I, I, I need, he said, you need an audience, right? I said, yes. yes I need, I need yes. for them to tell me now where to take certain things. Yes. And in my case, my character talks to the audience and flirts with the audience uh, a great deal. And so I really needed to start doing that to find out what I was all about. So the audience is an absolutely integral part of what, what yes. each of us do. We have to, we have to know from them. I think, I think both you and Jean were fortunate that when you did television for so long, you did it for an audience. And I think that... Greta didn't. I did not. Didn't, my, crew, didn't my crew was the audience. But when, when the camera would shake from the, the camera operators laughing at yes. what I was doing, that was a great clue. I was on to something really big. Because I remember they used to say there was so much laughter on the set. <laughs> yes, we, we had a good time. Uh, we also had a lot of, we had a wonderful schedule. We shot for six months and then we were off for six months and that's in fact when I came to uh, New York to do yeah. the same time next year. So, uh, so we were able to do so many other things. You, you spoke of uh, uh, that type of performance that grows out of throwing the actor into the situation and letting the actor pick up whatever information he or she can. And uh, I'm luckily the product of two different traditions. Uh, the older tradition into which I came when I, I did Jeb and then toured with Anna LaCosta and various other things. I suppose it, it's almost the tradition of the town crier. You get the line and you say it loud and clear upon the, 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 the cue and you deliver your cue and you move where the director tells you to move. 
it is to some degree theater from the outside. And there is a lot of exciting things that happen when you attack the part from the outside or when the whole thing takes place uh, without too much introspection and too much thought. But in 1954, Ruben and I were invited to join a production of The World of Sholem Aleichem, which was produced by Howard De Silva and Arnold Pearl, and uh, it had Maurice Skarnowski and Phoebe Brand and people who were intimate with a totally different form of acting, a totally different concept of theater. And uh, we were glad to learn from them of some of the interior things that we should concern ourselves about, of the connection between acting as a craft and the tradition out of which it came. Uh, so that we had the advantage of being the town crier type of actor and then learning to, to, to adopt and to adapt to what is roughly called the method where the interior is, ex is explored, what you feel, what you think, the beats getting from one to the other, being true to what your feelings, establishing the basis of those feelings. Uh, and I think our theater in this country uh, has also profited and been enriched by taking into its, under its wings those other concepts, some of which originated in other places. So that in addition to having the objective, straightforward, sort of one-dimensional uh, presentation, we also have thoughts and feelings and subjective moods as a part of what, as a performer, we can provide to the audience. That's well, that's wonderful good. if you can communicate that. Yes. So many of them keep it for themselves, it seems to me. Well, doesn't that, and I would say this to you, Jean, and also refer to Swizzy, doesn't that come in a different kind of training? You know, here is Swizzy has gone to Lambda, but also is aware of the training that goes on in this country. Yes. And I think the British tradition of training, uh, uh, well, I don't know, everybody has become almost slavish about uh, the British theater, which annoys me, frankly, a little bit. <laughs> um, but, uh, but still, you were trained that way, and, and, and I, I think if you are aware, maybe you can compare the, the kind of training that goes on at, let's say, the British school, as opposed to here. Well, George, I'm glad you said that, because I was just sitting here thinking, listening to what you were saying, Ozzy, about the two mm -hmm. different schools of thought being combined. Mm -hmm. At Lambda, it was, I thought, you know, like one would think that it was going to be the typical sort of British tradition of diction voice movement, um, not superficial, but the, the externals, you know. And amazingly enough, it was an, a wonderful balance of both, the so-called method, mm -hmm. the internal, the subtext, so forth, and the, the, the way to do it, you mm. know, the way to execute it. Um, going back, just, just combining these two things, the physicalization thing we're talking about, I was just thinking of a perfect example of what I was talking about. I have to tell you, I'm not a big believer in uh, acting classes or acting teachers that purport the let's sit around and think and feel about how I felt when I was four years old and my dog was run over. You know, I mean, that, that has its place, but um, it doesn't communicate anything. You know, um, if the tree falls in the forest, uh, if no one hears it, is it a noise? Well, unless you, you know, are ready to ping that out mm. to an audience, it's useless. Right. You're not going to be paid yes. 
to sit around and have people watch you think about how yeah. you felt <laughs> your doggy was killed, you know. So you got to figure out a way to get it out. Um, we were doing, I can't remember what play it was, but Michael McCown, who, who headed up Lambda at the time, brilliant, brilliant man, now passed from us, but wonderful man. He was directing us, and there was a point at which this, this actress had to go over to this man in the play and hit him really hard, just slug him. And we were in like the third week of rehearsal, and every time she'd come to this moment, she'd give her speech leading up to it, and then she'd say, oh, and, and this is where I, where I slug him. <laughs> and, you know, we, we all when is she going to do it, you know? And the director would, Michael would keep saying, oh, have a go, love, have a go, just plunge in, you know, because they're, they're all, have a go, see how it feels. Well, you know, finally, he said, all right, the moment of truth has come. We don't have too much more time here. Um, may I suggest something to you? She kept saying, I, I just don't feel it yet. I'm not, I haven't built up to that point yet where I'm ready to really, I don't feel, you know, I don't feel and uh, he said, I'll tell you what, don't worry about it, okay? Do the speech, however you want to do the speech, and then totally technically walk over to him and hit him or his, you know, shoulder, whatever we're doing, just as hard as you can, as a purely physical act. That's all. No meaning behind it. Don't think about it. Nothing. Just haul off and hit him. Well, it was amazing what happened. She did it. <coughs> and by the mere physical act of doing that, she was suddenly bingo at that point where she was ready to hit him, you know. But if we had waited around, we'd right. still be there waiting for her to <laughs> And sometimes, sometimes that's when we were like working backwards by hitting him, then she got, oh, that's what I should feel like yeah. right for him. It was great. That's yeah. great. Yeah. Wonderful it together. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's a great lesson. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to have to break now, and we're going to take questions from the audience when we come back. So please have your questions ready and you will see wing volunteers and they will tell you where to line up for them. Very short break, don't go away. Thank you. If We're continuing the American Theatre Wing seminars on working in the theatre. This seminar is on performance, and it's coming to you from the Graduate Center of the City University of New York, located on 42nd Street. It is just one of the programs of the American Theatre Wing. I'm going to start this session of the seminars by introducing a guest that has come to be with us and to meet you, and we are indeed honored to have David Dinkins, who is president of Manhattan Borough. And I would like to introduce the Honorable David Jenkins. Thank you very much. It gives me great pleasure to join Isabel Stevenson, President of the American Theatre Wing, George White, President of the Eugene O'Neill Theatre Center, and producer, director, and author, Jean Dalrymple, in celebrating the importance of theatre in our city. It is indeed an honor to meet such distinguished performers and friends as Ossie Davis, Von D. Curtis Hall, Swoozy Kurtz, Michael Sidbury, Gene Stapleton, and Loretta Swift on the occasion of the American Theatre Wing's fall seminars. In no other city in the country can such a roster of accomplished theatrical performers be collected in one room at one time. Indeed, the American Theatre Wing has been able to solicit the free services of a remarkable number of respected dramatic artists. 
Likewise, nowhere else in the country could a series of seminars attract such a large and widely diverse audience. Today's seminar is evidence of the importance of theater to New York City community. The American Theater Wing has done a great deal towards supporting the stage arts in our city. As the longest running organization dedicated to the service of the theatrical community, the American Theater Wing has influenced almost every aspect of dramatic arts. In the last 14 years, these seminars, for example, have educated scores of theater goers and students of theater on the range and beauty of the stage as an artistic medium. As the president of the Borough of Manhattan, I strongly support the work of organizations such as the American Theater Wing. During this past year's budgetary sessions, I urge my fellow Board of Estimate members to continue funding nonprofit cultural organizations despite limitations of funds. In Manhattan, I was able to budget over a half million dollars for cultural organizations. Indeed, in terms of dollars and cents, nonprofit cultural organizations are an integral part of the city's economy, providing an estimated $1.3 billion yearly in revenues. In terms of cultural rewards, the offerings of our city's theaters and other cultural institutions are vital to satisfying the appetite of New Yorkers for the best in the arts. New York is particularly proud of its theater. The dramatic arts are unrivaled in providing education, entertainment, and inspiration. I commend the American Theater Ring for contributing to the excellence in theater in New York City. And please permit me to thank Isabel Stevenson for inviting me here today. And I wish you a successful and fruitful week of seminars. Thank you thank so much. You. I'm indeed grateful for Mr. Dinkus coming today and being able to speak to you. And on behalf of my panel, I want to thank you very, very much. Thank you indeed. Thank you. We'll now continue. Jean. Oh, very well. Uh, I was, um, Jean Stapleton and I were talking before about how uh, Arsenic and Old Lace started in the regional theater. And I said, that's the way we all must go because of economics. And she said, yes. So will you tell us about that? Oh, well, yes, thank you. Uh, the, the play uh, uh, began at the Great Lakes Theater Festival in Cleveland. Uh, and a, a lovely marriage between uh, regional theater and, uh, and Broadway was formed. And this is happening uh, very, very frequently. And uh, economically, it's the on, only almost way the to only way to, uh, to do a show because the set was built there, the costumes were built there. And uh, we um, um, rehearsed there. And we worked there under a regional theater contract. And when we left, having rehearsed four weeks and played two and sold out and benefited their season, as which we opened, uh, we went on to a first-class contract, you see. Went to Dallas and then on into New York. Um, I'm, the producers saved thousands of dollars yes. this way. And it's the only way that a large cast, as we have, yes. uh, for a straight play, 13 people can um, can come to Broadway Correct. and uh, yeah. uh, so Wonderful. it is it's it's something we must uh, 
acknowledged more. And then, of course, the regional theater is benefited by a, a royalty, you see, yes. which they uh, dearly need and uh, love. And which they get from the Broadway production, mm -hmm. which is yeah. important. And you and well, Susie, the transition. Let me ask Susie um, about, well, you know, she started off Broadway in House of Blue Leaves, didn't you? And that's another right. way mm -hmm. where yes. you can uh, begin. That's uh, our regional theaters. That's right. We started right. at Lincoln yes. Center, but downstairs, downstairs in the small Mitzi Newhouse, the 300-seat mm. house. It's On a different that contract. house three times now. It, right, right, we're in our third theater. Yeah. Then moved upstairs to the yeah. Vivian Beaumont 1100 seat house, and now just yeah, opened last week at the Plymouth on what they call real Broadway. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations, you're going to Broadway. Yeah. <laughs> You've been playing Broadway since April. Yeah, actually, that, uh, that play uh, had quite a, we talked about that well, earlier, had an had a, a odyssey of, of getting to Broadway almost uh, longer than an, than an actor or actress getting to Broadway. Yes, I mean, uh, yeah. it, it started at the Eugene O'Neill Theater Center, which George runs. 20 years ago this year, wow. and uh, of course I was just a child at the time, <laughs> so, but um, <laughs> it's really had a journey. Well, there is, there is a story, because it de deals with, with uh, I think, something we, we should get into, which is crossing over between uh, stage and, and, and film and television and techniques therein, uh, and uh, I mentioned this to Susie something that really, um, I, I can't resist telling the story publicly, but uh, Susie worked with us at the O'Neill for about six, seven years, and I would come in every year and people would say, yes, yes, we, we want to know about your playwrights, but did you find any marvelous performers this year, any uncover, any showcase, if you will, any, any new uh, acting talent? And I would come in every year and say, yes, 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 there's a marvelous uh, woman by the actress, her name is Susie Kurtz, you all should see her. And, and endlessly, for, forever, these people would say, oh yes, we know about Susie, she's too much like and somebody, a famous performer uh, on, on, in film and television, uh, which used to drive me crazy. And to, to crib from, uh, from James Thurber, I used to say, she's no more like that person than the Metro Golden Mare Lion is like Calvin Coolidge, but all right. <laughs> uh, uh, but uh, anyway, uh, finally, at an audition exactly a month ago, someone says, no, no, she's not right. She's too much like Swoozy Kurtz. <laughs> <laughs> But I do think we should get into it because it goes uh, now uh, the, all, all of these people here have, have uh, basically uh, done uh, so much in, in film and television. Perhaps we could get into, let's, how about Loretta, about the different techniques in doing, you know, uh, how you deal with, 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 with the, the, the different media. Yes. Also, you talked about the time change that occurred. Oh, uh, Jean and I were talking about adjusting to having gotten up so early this morning to be here and <laughs> reflected that I had gotten up at 5.30 and 6 a.m. every morning for years and years when I was shooting MASH. And uh, now my life has all changed around because I work until 11 and don't get home until near midnight. And then I'm, uh, I'm still up for at least an hour after I've done a play, sometimes longer. I'm hungry. It's just completely different. You turn around your life. I, I find this adjustment easier to make than the other one I'd rather sleep in. <laughs> uh, also, there's just the, I think the rewards are more immediate and, and greater when you're doing live theater. And it's like coming home for me. It's where I started. It's like dying and going to heaven. Um, the difference mostly I find is size. Um, what I look for, rather than where, is what. 
I think if you have a great project, you can do it anywhere. If the project isn't any good, you can't do it anywhere. So that's, that's my, my formula. I think if it's, it's the mystery of Edwin Drood, you can do anywhere. I understand it's going to be a film with several different endings. And um, uh, I, I think it's just a great, exciting, wonderful piece of theater that involves the audience in a way that I happen to love. I, I think uh, the audience is the big reason to do a theatrical play. Um, I think uh, MASH was a very successful movie, a very successful series. Uh, I think um, it's just really size and, um, and a great director to help you uh, keep in mind what you are performing for. And, um, and that's, that's mostly the, the biggest difference for me in, in changing gears and switching gears. Gene, how about you? You've had the same experience. <coughs> doing a great deal of television, and now coming to Broadway and doing Osnick and Olay so beautifully. I, I haven't done um, the series for seven years, believe it or not. Uh, that's much, how much time has elapsed. So, And in those seven years, I've done uh, uh, quite a few, well, at least one a year, TV films, um, and, but also <laughs> a lot of theater, some tours, and, and of course, summer theater every year. So uh, coming back to the stage is not this giant leap, you yeah. know, to arsenic. Uh, but I have not appeared on the stage for two years. Uh, the last appearance was in Milburn, New Jersey, at the Paper Mill Playhouse. And so uh, it's not uh, the, uh, we learn to go from one to the other uh, easily, in my opinion, uh, because your basic acting uh, doesn't change. You do the same thing <laughs> on the camera as you do in the theater. I mean, your basic craft, I don't find any difference. The difference is in size. size. <laughs> yeah. You well put it so well. Uh, size of projection uh, in, and projection in different ways, not just the volume <coughs> of your voice. Um, projection of your physical, physical characterization and so forth. So you learn that um, by doing and um, I don't, beyond that you're doing the same thing. Yeah. And I think the discipline of each one helps the other one. Yeah. I when a camera reaches into your thought, I mean it goes in close and, and looks more uh, at your thinking probably and uh, so you are required to be even more honest, ideally not, but uh, you can't hide when the camera's coming in at you. And I find that's a great enrichment uh, or a great um, discipline to go back to the theater and uh, not hide, because mm -hmm. uh, ideally we mustn't hide. We must do that same uh, truth ex uh, on the stage. There and, are uh, so many people here that want to ask So uh, I'll stop there. I'm, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> I wish you wouldn't, but unfortunately I think that we're going to have to. And I know that they're going to have a lot of questions just on this very subject. So will you please have the first question. Okay. Uh, Ms. Kurtz, what was the role that you had the most difficulty with? Ever in my whole life? <laughs> 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 Me. 
Um, most difficulty. In a sense, um, it was, strangely enough, playing the character I played on Love, Sydney, with Tony Randall, the television series. Because, uh, um, in a sense, there was no character. I mean, um, they hired me, and they wanted me to do what I do, whatever that is. But, I mean, I was, in other words, it was so close to being me that it was really scary. Um, there they were no, you know, you had to take and shape it and figure out, what is this character? I like playing characters as far as possible away from me. Um, I think second to that was Bananas in The House of Blue Leaves. Uh, I had never seen it. Um, if I've seen something, I can kind of, you know, if I've seen somebody good do it, I can kind of take it and copy it. <laughs> Don't tell anybody. Um, I it's really, I mean, you, you take it and sort of make it your own, you know, and, and it's, it's all been shaped for you, and it's all been the, the lines of demarcation have been set up. I just, boy, I, I mean, it was, it was hard. Once, once I found it, it's, it's hard enough to go out there and do it every night, but finding it was really like being a deep sea diver not knowing what you're looking for you know you're looking for something you don't know what it is um it's a brilliant play uh, jerry zacks is a brilliant director and therefore i was able to find the answers thank you sweetie hi everybody my question is for loretta how did you deal with being typecast early in your career well it's interesting um i i know that we all are to a degree because um uh, the story we just heard about, uh, Susie Kurtz type, I had the same thing happen to me. Um, a friend called me uh, in Los Angeles. She uh, is a casting director still, and she, after uh, watching my career grow in television over the years, called me and said, I think you'll enjoy this. I was in a casting meeting this morning, and they were looking for a Loretta Swit type. I, you know, when you're in the outs when you're in the inside looking out, you're not aware of what your type is, are you? I mean, um, you don't, you're not really linked to how people see you. I don't know what type they've cast me as. Uh, I feel when I look back at the parts I've played from, from Gooch to Princess Puffer or from Margaret Houlihan to um, uh, Cagney on Cagney and Lacey, which I did uh, originally in the movie, uh, they're just such completely different people. I did the pigeon sister in The Odd Couple. They're, they're, they don't have any similarity to me, and um, I, I, don't, I don't know what's in the public mind or the, or the casting people. Uh, I don't know exactly how they see me. From my point of view, I get a chance to do a lot of different things, and I don't feel pigeonholed uh, by any one of these roles so far. Uh, there are lots uh, that I don't know about that's going on, I'm sure, but I don't feel it, so I don't, I'm not handling it in any special way. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I think all of us who have been privileged to attend these seminars will agree that this has been one of the most productive in acting. And so I would like to digress and ask a very personal question, because nobody else would dare. Of Ossie Davis, I am totally unbiased in his favor. I see you were our guest at the National Academy at one of the dinners, the Television Academy, oh. and you told us how you got the name of Ossie Davis. I think the people here would like to know because nobody would ask. And then another time at a dinner for Dick Campbell, 
Ruby Dee recited four lines of Langston Hughes, four beautiful, touching lines that sum up a whole life. Do you remember those four lines? I think the audience would enjoy it, too. Well, I remember several four lines, and they all would apply. About, about being born and di living, dying, yes, so forth. Yes, uh, Well, the mystery of my name is as follows. I was born in a very small town. It wasn't even a town yet, in Georgia, and what we, Clinch County. And a part of the ritual is that when the child is born, uh, you are required to go to the county seat and register the child's name. I was named after a grand, uh, my grandfather, whose name was Rayford Chapman Davis. Uh, in the South, because of economical reasons, we use the first letters most, uh, more than we do the name. So when Mama took me to the registrar at Clinch County and, told, uh, and was asked what was the child's name, she said, R.C. Davis, uh, for Ray for Chapman. <laughs> but somehow the clerk heard it differently, and it came out, Ossie Davis. <laughs> and uh, it was a time and a culture where one never didn't question what bureaucracy decided to work. <laughs> so, so I began my life under false pretense. <laughs> never got out of it yet. <laughs> Thank you. Next question. <laughs> Hello, my name is Jamie Simon, and my question is addressed for Jean Stapleton. And you kind of already answered it, but I ha I'll take it the other direction. And opposed to your adjustments between the theater and the, the screen, how did you continue to maintain Edith Bunker for the several years over the series, keeping her fresh, keeping the character growing in that sense? Well, uh, thank you. That's an intelligent question, too. Well, um, I think a different script each week helped us keep it fresh different situation, uh, which required uh, new responses. Um, that was major. Another thing that kept uh, doing it was the audience, because there was uh, the theater. I was, I, I was so pleased that we were doing it with an audience. You do that on a tape show for tape cameras. And uh, I felt, ah, I'm still in the theater. We had two uh, audiences, and we did a play, uh, an, um, we did a, uh, an episode on Friday, and we did it at 5.30, and then again at 8 o'clock with notes in between. We called 5.30 New Haven and 8 o'clock New York. <laughs> so we had a fresh uh, response, you see. That kept us fresh. And, and um, you see, after eight and a half years, why did it end? Because situations um, and, and ideas and conflict of attitudes had been fairly exhausted and also un we were unable to uh, uh, find that freshness anymore so we knew it was the time to stop thank you very thank good. you hi my name is Christine Pfeiffer and my question is to Vondi Curtis Hall what would be the ve best advice you could give someone starting out in the business um, I would say get as much training as you can. I, I think as Loretta mentioned and, and Susie, that uh, technique is, is really absolutely necessary. It gives you a, a, a basis for which to grow and for which to design a character or, or a dance or whatever. I think dance training, as many acting classes as you can, vocal training, to use as much of your instrument as possible, or all of your instrument, I should say, actually. 
as much training as you possibly can. My name is Marjorie Singer. Mr. Davis, how do you feel about the power the New York theater critics have in often determining the success of a Broadway show? Well, I'm slightly distressed, not only for the theater, but for the critics themselves. It must not be comfortable uh, for the critic to realize that his or her judgment might be decisive in the life or death of the play. Uh, although I don't like it, it is not the critic uh, who would be the target of my animus. Uh, I think in our society we do not yet fully appreciate the value of our theater or the criticism thereof. Uh, our culture is motivated more by commerce than it is in terms of what its own dynamics are. So uh, we're sort of caught between that which satisfies us on a spiritual, or artistic, or aesthetic level and that which makes the difference at the box office. Uh, the critic working for an economic enterprise has to perform a certain function and that function may not have very much to do with aesthetic standards at all. But unfortunately, we live or die by those standards. The important thing that the critic does for the theater is to remind us <laughs> that the person who has the ax don't know a thing about theater or the craft. So somehow or other, <laughs> we've got to survive. <laughs> I'm going to interrupt this. I'm sorry, we won't have time for any more questions because I have a very important question that I'd like to ask. And if each one can answer it in one sentence, if possible, what was the most important influence on you as you came to the theater? Also, I've got another part of that question. Mm -hmm. Do you have an agent and how did you get one? <laughs> Susie, why don't you start? Just go right why do I always have to be first? <laughs> I never have any time to think. Okay, two-part question? Yes. <laughs> do you have an agent? Want to start yes. with that? Yes, I have an agent. And I've, I've had more agents than a lot of people have had marriages. <laughs> I mean, it's like, what time is it now? Who are you with now? Um, yeah, I've had about five. I've been, with, I've been through them all. It's, and it's, it's a very... Agents are a hard thing to handle. I, I find it very depressing talking to agents. Uh, I, I, they rarely have good news, you know. <laughs> it's always problematic somehow talking to them. I always hang up and I think, God, I was feeling just fine today. Before I but anyway, but they have a job to do. Um, biggest influence on, I tell you the biggest influence on me is working with great directors. Um, I find working with great directors, uh, or even very, very good directors, a major acting lesson. Um, I save notes from old plays that I did five, six, seven, ten years ago. I save them and I apply them to plays I do now from, from great directors, because they always apply. It, it doesn't mean to be about that specific moment, it can apply. It's just, I love getting notes from great directors. Bonnie? Do you have an agent? Um, yeah, I do. I, I work with it's someone who was on your panel before, Lionel Lawner. Okay. Oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, I've been with him. <laughs> 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 and I would say, too, uh, as, as, a, as a bit of more advice to the person who asked about uh, show business, is have tenacity when dealing with agents, because it's so difficult to get them usually. Just hang in there and uh, don't hang up the phone. Don't get off the phone. <laughs> I got an agent um, through doing, at, at first, and, and uh, I did it through doing showcases 
in New York City and um, also uh, having those interested agents visit me in my summer theater work. Uh, the the uh, greatest influences on me in uh, uh, the theater, I guess I have to, in one sentence, uh, bring down to two people who were my teachers, William Hansen, who is not with us anymore, a, a great teacher, and uh, a teacher director who is with us named Joseph Anthony. Oh, yeah, Joe Anthony. Um, I have an agent whose name is Marion Searching, and over the years, uh, I think we've become relatives. Um, <laughs> and I'm satisfied, and so is she. And I would have to say that the most pervasive, sustaining, and overall important influence on me has been my own wife, Ruby Dee. Although there are many names I could call, including Howard De Silva, who made a tremendous impact, helped to change my life. Over the long haul, it's been Ruby. <laughs> um, uh, yes, I have an agent, and um, they're, they've become, over the uh, time I've been with them, very good friends, so I don't have the problem on the phone <laughs> that Swoozy has. And uh, they're, they're nice people, and I trust them, and it's, it's, we have nice relationships. I think, uh, I still think of Gene Frankel as uh, having been a very influential uh, person in my life in terms of my career and in terms of what I've learned. Uh, I still quote him. I told Swoozy when we were on our break that Gene once said, the hardest thing about our work is to do it. Yeah, yeah. I think we're going to have to end on that note. And once again, there's just not enough time. And there is so much that these wonderful panelists can tell us, but we've run out of time. And so I have to say that these seminars on working in the theater have been produced by the American Theater Wing, and they are at the Graduate Center of the City University of New York on 42nd Street. And this seminar was on the performance. Our panelists today are a wonderful group of talented performance, performers who have contributed their time and their energy and their knowledge to the American Theatre Wing for you, the audience. And so to both of you, thank you, audience, and thank you.